You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. I met with a young man recently to talk about work. He's in software development. I was in software development. He's teaching now, tutoring high school students in math. Um, I'm a teacher, and I also happen to love math. He's in his 20s. I'm in my 50s. He was able to benefit a little from my experience, and I was refreshed by seeing him wrestling with these questions about work. You see, he finds his tutoring of these students so life-giving, so enriching, that he's beginning to wonder whether he should give up his work in software development, go back to school, get his teaching credential, and change careers and be a teacher. It's not that he finds his work in software development without meaning. Not at all. He knows that he has gifts for it. He knows that's rewarding, and he knows that that's a place of ministry and service. I think he's wrestling with a bigger question. I think he's wrestling with a question of calling. And he's very fortunate to have this kind of question, to have the gifts to be able to put to use in these different ways. And it's been a real privilege for me to discuss this with him. It's been such an enriching time. I'm so proud of him to see him engaging the big questions of life this way. And this conversation never would have come about if it hadn't been for this program we launched uh, along with the sermon series called Let's Do Lunch to try to get people together to engage on the topic of integrating our work and our faith and our whole life. And if you haven't taken advantage of that, whatever, whether you're in 20s or 50s or whatever decade you're in, to make a connection like that, I encourage you to do it. You can do it today. Just walk right upstairs to Larson Hall and, and sign up and find a connection that way. And while you're up there, I want to encourage you to do one more thing. Sign up for this workshop seminar that's coming that we're going to be hosting in two weeks on Saturday, November 20th, called Making Work Meaningful. We have two top speakers coming in, people who are in demand around the country and the world on this topic. One of them is Jeff Van Duzer, the dean at Seattle Pacific University, the dean of the business school, that is. And he's going to be here. I've taught with him, and I just love him. This is a dynamic opportunity. The other one is Paul Stevens, a professor at Regent College in Vancouver, B.C. He has written spoken so greatly on this topic that I've required his books as assigned reading in the classes that I teach in the business school over at SPU. So you won't want to miss this. Plus, it's an opportunity to connect with other people in a variety of types of work to make these types of connections. You can sign up for that right after the worship service up in Larson Hall. But now, let's turn to our text for today, Exodus 31. And I believe you can find this on page 68 of the Pew Bibles. In Exodus 31, we're going to discover something here important about what our looks like, work looks like from God's point of view. This passage is part of the time when Moses went up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. And we read about that in Exodus 20. And the Ten Commandments only takes up a half a page in Exodus 20. And then the next ten chapters are given over to this description of how we are to live together in righteous relationships with God and with one another and how we are to worship God appropriately. It goes on and on about how to build the tabernacle and the utensils of the tabernacle and the lampstands and what the embroidery is supposed to look like and what the designs are supposed to look like and the, the blue and purple and crimson threads and all that. 
It goes on and on. For six whole chapters, chapter 25 through 30, it's all about the artistry and construction of the tabernacle, the, the tent of worship. And then at the very end of that, in chapter 31, we get this passage for today. Let me read this for you. The, f- the first 11 verses of Exodus 31. And, and listen carefully because we're listening to God's word. The Lord spoke to Moses. See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have appointed with him Ohaliab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given skill to all the skillful, so that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, and the ark of the covenant, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin with its stand, and the finely worked vestments, the holy vestments for the priest Aaron, and the vestments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. They shall do just as I have commanded you. This is the word of the Lord. And we get this long list of all the type of creative work that is to be done. But I want to skip over all that list of lampstands and curtains and vestments for the moment. And I want to look at, focus on just one thing. What does it mean right here when it says, God says, see, I have filled him with divine spirit with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft. And moreover, I have given skill to all the skillful. Clearly, this is a work inspired by God. He's filled the workers with divine spirit. It even goes on to say that he's, he's given skill not just to Bezalel and his co-worker, oh, the other guy, <laughs> but... He has, he's even poured out the gifts of the Spirit upon all the skillful. And this is also the very first time in the Bible when we read about God bestowing a divine Spirit upon a specific person by name, and he does it to workmen. Well, that's great for these guys, and maybe it's great for all artists in the same way who are working on building a tabernacle. But I want to know, does this gift of divine spirit apply to all work? Because I don't build tabernacles. And I, I wonder that it might be kind of difficult for most of us, the, most of the time, to, to see it that easily, how the divine spirit is at work in us when we're at work. At the end of the day, at the end of the work week, I think we're often left wondering, what was it all about anyway? Henry David Thoreau is famous Uh, for saying it this way. He said, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave 
with the song still in them. Wow, that's a sad commentary. But too often it's true. Lives of quiet desperation. How do we avoid that? How do we find life-giving inspiration in our work? And not just a desperate path that leads to the grave. As I mentioned earlier, I used to work in software development. And I was in business for almost two decades. And then about 18 years ago, before I came up, became a pastor, I was called to Seattle uh, because there's a, a famous software company in Redmond that brought me to, uh, to manage a new business unit. And this was our assignment. We were supposed to take Windows and make a, a version of Windows that was very tightly engineered, compact, small, fast, efficient, highly intuitive, highly functional, and fit it in the size of, in a computer that would fit in the palm of your hand. Oh, and also had to last for weeks on a single battery charge. There was only one problem. We couldn't do it. You, 18 years ago, you could not pack all that technology into a computer that fit in the palm of your hand. And we ended up scrapping the project. It, it, was, it became obsolete before it even shipped. And we started over, hoping to catch the next wave of technology in order to develop a shippable product. And we did. In fact, I have one right here. This is, this is the fifth generation of that product. It's a pocket PC, and I still use this every day. There does happen to be one problem with it, which, which is that it's also out of date, and it's only three years old. But I still use it, and it makes me realize that can it become a source of despair to work on a product that you know it's going to be obsolete in 18 months? <laughs> Every day I went to work, I knew that what I was working on at that moment was going to be out of date within 18 months. And it's not just technology workers. Uh, my friend said to me earlier that, you know, Bruce, it's the same for me, too. Uh, we build trucks. But they only last 20 years. And I said, yeah, the truck's going to end up in the graveyard, and so are you. And it's the same with any type of job that's repetitive, that is done over and over again. The floor keeps needing to be swept. The garbage keeps piling up. The bills keep coming in. And we're wondering, what, what's it all about anyway? Well, you know the name of that tune. At least you do if you're old enough to uh, remember who Tennessee Ernie Ford is. Uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford, whoever he is. Because he sold a million records of 16 tons, you know. You load 16 tons, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. And yet, well, that is not God's point of view. God does not look at our job as a place to lose our souls or to sell them. God looks at our job as a place for our soul to be filled up. Because he pours out his divine spirit for the job. And he says, the Holy Spirit is given to give skill to all the skillful. And 
yet still with art that remains a little bit easier to see because we like to say that art is inspired. What does that mean? It means that somebody's breathed life into it. The, the beauty of it points to that reality, that bigger reality. The beauty of it points to the artist behind the art and the musician and the composer behind the music. And nature is that way. We, we say nature is inspired. You can't remember that day we had this past week that was so warm and beautiful and the sky had blue and gold and the maples had flame red leaves and the cascades had snow. And you can't look at that day and not feel like that day was inspired as a work of art. What's the first work that we do? What's the first work that children do, even before they go to school? As soon as a kid is old enough to hold a crayon or a stick or anything, they do art. They do scribbles. And they love coloring. And there is no more profound demonstration of what it means to be a human being than to walk into somebody's house and see a kid's colorful drawing taped to a refrigerator door. That is the essence of what it means to be a human being. It's beautiful. Well, of course it's not valuable. It's not valuable to the art dealer. The art dealer doesn't get to decide. The reason that art is beautiful is because that artist is loved. It's the mom and the aunt and the grandma and the uncle. They're the ones that get to decide if that's beautiful, if that's a work of art. Our work is beautiful because God loves us. And our work is inspired when it points to that greater reality. You see, that's really the definition of spiritual. The biblical word for spirit is the same word as breathe. In spirit, inspired is the same word, to breathe in. Life is breathed in. God breathed life into the first human beings. The Holy Spirit is the breath. It's the same word in both the Hebrew and the Greek. It's to be inspired is, we might as well say, inspirited. And that's when our work is inspired, is when it's done under the banner of this God, the one who breathes life into us. We'll never find meaning in our work by focusing on the work itself. The meaning is in the bigger context of God who calls us into worship. Our work is inspired when it's worshipful. As long as we remain focused on the job itself, we will be trapped in what Thoreau called that prison of quiet despair. And that comes about because of a lack of meaning. Because in the long run, those products are going to be obsolete and the grave awaits. What lasts? What doesn't? What is the meaning of it all anyway? Our work has meaning when it's done in the context of worship. This becomes clear in our passage if we just read the very next sentence. You've got to read the next sentence. You can't stop where, where I stopped. They shall do just as I have commanded you. You've got to read the very next line, and I'll read it right now. Verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord. 
who makes you holy. You see what Exodus 31 is? It's not just a list of all this artistry. It's not just the message that God bestows his divine spirit upon workers. It's also something else. It's also an injunction against ever thinking that my job and my skill were the whole point of it anyway. No. God is. Nothing has lasting meaning or value apart from the Lord. Hence, this passage must conclude with Sabbath. Sabbath is the answer to my idolatrous interpretation of what my work and gifts are all about. And that puts our work into proper perspective. The great novelist got it right, George MacDonald. He got it right when he was describing the villages he grew up in and the people in those villages. And I want to read you this about the shoemaker, the village shoemaker. He said, For the cobbler believed absolutely in the Lord of life, who was always trying to do the things he said and to keep his words abiding in him. Therefore, he was what the parson called a mystic. Yet he was at the same time the most practical man in the neighborhood. Therefore, he made the best shoes because the work of the Lord did abide in him. Is there any more work that's more inspired than shoemaking? Because mystics make the best shoes. But you have to know what the word mystic means. Simple. A mystic is simply someone who knows that God is the ultimate mystery of it all. The ultimate source of meaning. That's a mystic. So the cobbler is a mystic, but he's also the most practical man in the neighborhood because he knew the Lord. That's why he made the best shoes. You see, mystics make the best cobblers. Mystics make the best bakers and bankers and bus drivers too because they understand that their work is a craft that has practical value in the sight of God. And when we offer ourselves to our work in that sense, as a worshipful act, we give ourselves fully to the task, doing it to the glory of God. That is an act of spiritual worship, just like it says in Romans 12 that we just heard read. Romans 12, verse 1. Let me read it to you again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Work is the spiritual reality because it's done with the whole self, body, mind, emotions, heart and soul. When we put all that into the moment, that's an inspired moment. And that's also the place of joy, which is why we can find joy at work. Joy is the antidote to that despair. It's the opposite of that that quiet desperation which deprives life of significance. Mother Teresa knew it. She must have seen the most desperate cases on earth. And yet, she wasn't driven into that despair. She was asked, how can you do this day after day, cleaning the bodies of dying people? Don't you realize that you're not adding even a single hour to their lives? Don't you face the despair of failure every day? And she said, Oh, but you've got it all wrong. 
I wasn't asked to be successful. I was asked to be faithful. Have you ever stood still long enough to ask those questions? Have you ever stood still long enough to look into the abyss of despair at the brink of a meaningless existence? Or a pile of work that's never done? Have you ever stopped working long enough to feel the pit in your stomach that comes from that sense of quiet despair? I have. And when you reach the edge of that cliff, there's only one way to be saved. The only rescue is an act of the Holy Spirit to show you that Jesus Christ is standing there with you, ready to save you. This is the final answer. And it's written in Scripture like this at the end of that great hymn that we find in 1 Corinthians 15. That whole chapter is devoted to the resurrection and our invitation into the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the end of that hymn in chapter 15 goes like this. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. In the long run, the products of our work become obsolete. And if the grave is the final arbiter, then what was it all worth anyway? This is why the resurrection is the ultimate and only satisfactory answer to any question of meaning. And that's called faith. The reason work has meaning is because of the context of that greater reality. Work is done under the banner of the love of God. And that, friends, is why Christians can say, take this job and love it. Not because the job itself is necessarily that lovable, but because God created us and gave us a skill and a place to serve. And because God loves us. This is the greater reality, the inspirited reality in which we can come to understand our work as being inspired, of having life breathed into it, and not as a desperate parade of folly producing products destined for obsolescence or driving us into the quiet despair of which Thoreau spoke. No. The one thing we cannot, must not do as Christians, the one type of work we cannot tolerate as Christians is a work that creates a job that dehumanizes. God never ordained any such kind of work upon the face of the earth. And if we ever encounter that kind of work, our job as a Christian is to stand up and take notice of it, bear witness to it, and stop it and pray for it to be healed. Because God's idea of work is that it lines up with his will for all human dignity, for compassion and justice for all humanity. Well, my final question is this. How then do we live as inspired workers? First, if we're feeling despair, it's time to step back and take in the bigger picture. God's in it. It's time to hit the pause button. It's time to take the Sabbath moment and not let yourself burn out because you're carrying too heavy of a yoke. Trade it in for a lighter one. And remember that work only makes sense 
when we're able to offer it as an offering in, in a worshipful context. And second, if we ever see evil creep into a job and dehumanize a person, we're called to bear witness, expose it, stop it, and pray for healing. Third, when we're seeking work or questioning a change in work, it's time to gather people around us who know the Lord and who know us, who can help us discern how the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. People who can help us understand how we fit into that. And finally, no matter what work we find ourselves doing at the moment, rejoice in the opportunity to work because it's a godly, mysterious gift of grace. We get to be co-creators and participants in the movement of the Holy Spirit on this earth. And that's why our work is inspired. And that's why we remember the last word of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Heavenly Father, praise you, Lord, that you have given us the gift of yourself and of time and space to live out your claim and call upon us to use our gifts. Let these gifts be pleasing to you. Our gifts of service, our gifts of hope, our gifts of work, our gifts of prayer, and our gifts of money that we also offer to you now. It's all from you and for you, Lord. Christ Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.